it's Lord of Scoundrels Week. I'm so excited. God, I know me too. Oh my God, I just can't. Like every time I open this book, I think to myself, like, it's it can't possibly be the as great as I remember it. And then I'm like, it's better. <laughs> and fuck you, Loretta Chase. Why are you so good at your job? <laughs> Oh my God! I shouldn't say that. She is also the mo- for the record. She's like the most <laughs> remarkable human. Yeah. You know, when you're a writer, I'm probably going to regret saying all this, but whatever. Um, when you're a writer and you're writing in the genre that like you have read your whole life and that you are this obsessed with, you're so obsessed with it that not only do you write it all day, then you record podcasts about it and right. read it all night. <laughs> like when you are me. <laughs> Like, you go off into the world when you're a baby writer, when you're, like, in 2009 when I sold my first romance novel and I ended up at, like, the RWA National Conference, like, starry-eyed, right? Oh, I'm sure. And you start to meet people who have written books that have transformed you, like the books that blooded you. Yeah. And you start to be really disappointed often. Like, you meet somebody whose books you love and you're like, oh, I wish, like, never meet your idols. Yeah. Right? Like, people, I'm like, look, it's just like that. It's a business just like everything else. And some sure. people are great and some people are not great. And, like, it just sucks, though, when you come at it as a reader and you're like, some people just n- are not great. Yeah. Loretta Chase <laughs> is great. She Aww. is so wonderful. And, like... So willing to like have you cry at her. <laughs> That's <laughs> and awesome. Talk to her and and she, I will tell you, I've met Loretta, you know, probably five or six times now. And literally every time I meet her, I ask her a question about Lord of Scoundrels. And every <laughs> time she answers it, like she's so generous and she never rolls her eyes and is like, please just stop. Like, right. Like right. Get, get over it. Um, she's just magnificent. And I will say that is true of her and that is true of Lisa Klapis and it is true of other people. But like for me, the fact that Loretta and Lisa are as kind and generous and good as they are. Yeah. Just makes me like gives me great joy as a reader. Like because I do come at this first as a reader. But also, oh, my God, Loretta, (laughs) I'm working on a book right now, and this has just set me back weeks because it's so good. It's so good. Sarah, when did you first read Lord of Scoundrels? Do you remember? I do remember. I came to it very late. We should say welcome to Faded Mates, everyone. (laughs) I'm Sarah McLean. I write romances. I read romances. I'm Jen Prokop. I read and critique romance, I guess. I I don't know. I just read it all the time. I love it so much. Um, and it's Lord of Scoundrels Week. You're joining us for, if you're joining us for the first time, which maybe some of you are because this is one of your favorite books. Yeah. Um, this season, last season, Faded Mates focused on uh, Cressley Cole and Immortals After Dark, a series that Jen and I believe is one of the very best romance series of all time. Yes. And we had intended to do 22 episode, episodes, and here we are <laughs> on episode <Season> two. <laughs> 55 or something. 
Um, and we are thrilled to have you. This season, uh, season two, we're doing the books that blooded us. Um, and that means the books that taught us what romance could be. And yeah. uh, before the season started, we both made a list. And Lord of Scoundrels was on both of our lists. Yeah. This is our first double. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah, I think so. Because I think for other authors, like I had one, you had another sometimes. I mean, things like that. But this, yeah, we have this a one, yeah, right. Author overlaps, but yeah. So Lord of Scoundrels, um, Loretta Chase's master work. And this is 1995. 1995. Something was in the water over Dreaming of You was 1995, right? Yeah, four or five. 1994, 1995. Dreaming of You, which is Derek Craven, Loretta Chase, Susan Elizabeth Phillips. Yeah. The first Julia Quinn was acquired right now. in the in the 90s right around now so um but we should talk well let's talk let's just overview the fact that if you look at any overarching list of the best romance novels of all time most of them are going to include lord of scoundrels um so and certainly both jen's and my lists uh include lord of scoundrels and there are lots and lots of reasons why, which we're going to get into as we talk about this. But I'm going to turn your question on you because I've been talking a lot. When did you first read Lord of Scoundrels? So, you know, what's interesting is I was looking back through, like, I was trying to figure out if it was in, like, the Amazon years, right? Because I often use Am- my Amazon account as my book memory. I don't know if other people do this, but I created my first Amazon account back in, like, 98, maybe? So, but I didn't, of course, buy everything from Amazon. You know, I look back and I'm like, I had, like, three orders that year or something. So I have ordered Lord of Scoundrels four or five times. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I was like, how is this possible, right? I must have given them of gifts or replaced copies I had. So it's really hard to tell. But my, I do not think – I my guess is I read this in the late 90s. I mean, I definitely feel like this book has been a part of, like, my, like, romance DNA from, like, kind of in that – like the Garwood years. Like for for me, it was like Susan Elizabeth Phillips and Julie Garwood and, you know, like sort of the prize and those historicals and then like Lord of Scoundrels slots in there. But I I don't have a really vivid memory of of reading it because it feels like it was always there. Ah, that's interesting. So um, on the Sierra Simone, the priest episode... Yeah, I told you um, that there are a handful of books that I can remember reading for the first time. Like mm-hmm. I know I can see myself like having an out of body. Like, yeah, I remember reading Devil in Winter while I was lying in my bed in like my first Brooklyn apartment. Mm-hmm. I remember reading Priest on the couch here in my current Brooklyn apartment. I remember reading Sweet Ruin here, same couch. Yeah. And um, 
in between, I lived in this uh, apartment, this in in Brooklyn, um, the middle apartment. It was the first apartment that I lived in with Eric. And I remember it was like a Saturday afternoon and I was reading Lord of Scoundrels because everybody had said, like, you love Lisa Kleypas, like you love Julia Quinn, you love like all these like all these romance novels, like you're reading Lorraine Heath, like how have you not read Lord of Scoundrels? And I had read Mr. Impossible and I had read mm. other chases, I mean other Loretta's of Loretta's right. books and loved them. Um and somehow I had skipped this. This was a mm. it was a it was a weird empty spot. And I remember I was lying on the couch and my dog was at the far end of the couch and it was just the two of us. And I got to the moment, we're going to spoil things in this episode, P.S. So if you have not read and you don't want to be spoiled, leave now. (laughs) Um, But I got to the moment where Jessica shoots Dane. Oh. (laughs) And I sat straight up. I shot up on the couch, scared the dog off the couch and went, Oh, my God. Aloud to the room. Yeah. And I was like, what? Did I just read? Is happening. (laughs) Um, Because I had sort of, I was delighted by this book until that moment when I realized, like, she was doing something really remarkable. Yeah. And, like, I, I think when we talk about the books that made us think about the genre in different ways. Like it is very possible that Loretta Chase is the reason why I ultimately like wrote Mm. a book because I felt like she showed me like what the, what the, the bar was. Yeah. That's amazing. I, this is like a funny story. I, I don't think I've told this story. So I, um, after I graduated from college, which was in 1995, I moved to Houston to do Teach for America, which is where I met Daryl, who is like now my husband. And I moved, it's, I had, I had like a, like an under the bed box, like, you know, like a plastic box. I still have it. And I had, and there was like a collection. It's like two rows wide of like romance novels that I had like kept from my Mm -hmm. high school kind of college years and like traveled with. And then in 1997, we moved to California and like Daryl would always laugh about like the books under the bed (laughs) (laughs) because they did, you know, I don't know. This was pre, I didn't put them out on the shelf. Like I just didn't want to have those conversations with people. Now, if you come to my house, you're likely to leave with romance novels because I'll be like, here, take this. You want it. Um, (laughs) But I feel like Lord of Scoundrels just was, like, always in the box. Yeah. It was just always in the box. Yep. And Which I don't cover rem- did you have? Did you have this cover? Yeah, with the lady on it. Yep. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm going to show you this cover. Uh, yes, that's the one. Yeah. Which is now, you have a second copy now. I, I do. I do. So, yeah, but I have bought and rebought this several times. I was looking at my Amazon account. I mean. I realized I have it on Kindle and Apple Books. Um, Uh, There you go. So, I mean, I think I've bought, I've done the same thing. I think I've spent, (laughs) I've spent a lot of money on this book. (laughs) Worth it. I mean, I don't care. (laughs) I don't care either. So, okay, let's, uh, let's get into it. So, um, we gave you a little bit of information about where, you know, so I think we need to talk about what the story is 
a little bit, although it's a massive story. And I always forget that. Like I always yeah. come back when I come back at it, there are these beats of it that I think of all the time. Like every time I write a glove into a oh, book, yeah. I think about her. Every time I write a fan into a book, I think about mm-hmm. her. Like oh, yeah, there are for these sure. moments, like these very clear, like crystallized moments. I think not just for me as a writer, but like for romance and romance readers across the board, like remember a lot of very specific moments in this book. But I'm always really so I always forget like major plot points. Like, oh, yeah. Like this time around, I was like, oh, shit, he has a bastard son. Of course he does. Like, which, of course, I knew, but like never enters my mind. Right. So um, let's talk about this. This is it's Beauty and the Beast. Oh, for sure. For sure. I, You know, it's funny because I think the thing I almost want to do is. I want to talk about the prologue <laughs> and then because it is, well, the beauty, let's talk. So, uh, okay. The trope across yeah. the board is beauty and the beast. Yes. Um, but it's beauty and the beast. Like you've never seen. Sure. Because Jess is, I think an unparalleled romance heroine, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, she is just amazing, but not in a way that ever, she doesn't ever seem like a Mary Sue to me. I don't know if other people will feel differently. She just feels like, wait, I what? Just, she's not a Mary she's Sue. She's not a Mary Sue. She's not a Mary Sue for right. the first second she's on the page. Right. Well, I just feel like, the. I don't know, like, I just want to debunk that immediately in case someone's like, she's yeah, no, too no, no, perfect, no, 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 no. right? I, didn't, I mean, like, I never the think second that way about she's her. on the page, she's there to, like, she's arrived in Paris to, like, get her oh yeah reprobate, right like <laughs> brother's shit together oh like, yeah right and i mean she is having none of this from the start but let's talk about that prologue because i think the setup for this as beauty and the beast requires that the yeah. prologue exist so right. first things first if i have said this on twitter i've said this on this podcast if you are a person who does not read prologues <laughs> Aaron. And you have Aaron from Heaving Bosoms. <laughs> what the hell? We write them for a reason. This um, one is, though, woo. There is, and there is this real problematic, like, adage in writing that, like, you shouldn't actually write prologues. Like, prologues are unnecessary. You just cut them out and start in chapter one. And to every person who has ever said that out loud as, like, a legitimate piece yes. of advice, I say, read Lord, Lord of, of Scoundrels. Scoundrels. Like, you yeah. are wrong, Lord of Scoundrels. You've been lawyered. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. I just, so this prologue is essential. And what's really interesting about it is it does so So much much work. work. Um, And it's remarkable. I mean, it is, I don't know how long. 20 pages, maybe? Yeah, it's long. It's a long prologue. Because usually, I mean, I've written a lot of prologues, and they're usually like a couple pages. Like, I just wrote a prologue for this book that I'm working on right now, and it's two pages long. So it's 20 pages, and basically it is, like, watching a, like, fast, right, a fast-forward movie, right, of this man's, like, kind of life from childhood to adulthood, but in a way that shows him being, like, both laid low and then completely ascendant. I had forgotten. It starts with his father, which is actually a nod there are a couple of moments in the book. So as I as you know, Jen, um, I wrote the 
I wrote the introduction to a Georgia Hare book called um, The Transformation of Philip Jatan. And I wrote it, which has just been re-released by the Modern Library this season. And they asked me to write the introduction and I was very flattered and I wrote it. And what's interesting is that The Transformation of Philip Jatan also begins with the Mm. hero's father. Like the story is... um, and it, it's really interesting because I think there are a couple of moments in this book that are actually nods to hair. Uh-huh. Um, but the and we can talk more about that later. But there's but what's interesting is the the story. Yeah, it begins with the father losing the father, losing his favored family, like right. losing his first four children. The first line is um, in the spring of 1792. The third Marquess of Dane, Earl of Blackmore, Viscount Launcels, Baron Ballister, and Launcels lost his wife and four children to typhus. And, like, this is before our current hero even exists. exists. I would also like to point out it's the reason why it seems, like, shocking that we ever forget that Jane is a father at the end. Of course, a book that begins with a father is going to end with him being a father. It's inevitable. Yeah. Always, always you're planting the seeds, like start as you mean to go on. Yep. And so that shouldn't surprise us. And yet it doesn't feel inevitable, even though it should. Well, what's really interesting is so the original Earl, Dane's father, loses his family, his wife, his, his proper wife and his four children to typhus. He cares only for his mistress, whom he will not marry um, because of, you know, whatever reasons. Because of class. Yeah. Um, He won't marry his mistress. So he marries a 17-year-old Italian girl. Yeah. Who is, uh, like, written into this book as, like, the, like, as a firebrand Italian who refuses to compromise, who refuses to cow to this horrible man. Yeah. Who has married her. He gets her with child, and then he (laughs) pieces out. Oh, in every way. And even and loathes her. Loathes her. She's so earthy. She like wants she's so wants dark. things from him in the bedroom. You know, yeah, the the I would I'm we're talking about the dark and light stuff. This is like probably the real thing that ugh. but you know, he she's too um she's just not prim and proper. No, she's a scandal. She is a scandal. Exactly. And and yet and he thought she was going to be. Ah, but also yeah. he believes the dad believes that she, he's been duped. Right. Like she wasn't a scandal when he married her. Oh, yeah. She wasn't this like kind of mouthy. Sure. Like, difficult. Brash, difficult girl when he married her. And he believes that he has been duped. Yeah. He gets her with child. She has the child who is ugly Mm-hmm. And wailing, pleasant, and he can't even stand to look at it. And it is and described as an it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because he looks Italian. Yeah. We get the appearance of like one of my favorite historical tropes, though, which is you can't deny that the baby's yours because he has the magical <laughs> birthmark that all the babies in our family I have. Know. Right. I know. I love that. It's so terrible and dumb, but I <laughs> love it. Same. I love that. I love eye color. Like, no one's ever had an eye color that color except Same. for your father. I mean, I'm currently writing that. They all have these amber eyes that their father also had. Of course. Like, <laughs> to prove it, it's proof. It's proof. It's proof. There was no um, 
whatever these modern day DNA kits are where people instead find out their fathers aren't their fathers. <laughs> no ancestry.com. <laughs> no. And this is his child and he's miserable about it. But he sure yeah. isn't going to get her with a second one. No. So they live this horrible life. Yeah. And this poor child oh. grows up unloved. He's right? miserable. He's taught Italian by his mother. Not enough. And his dad fights it. Well, but he certainly speaks plenty of Italian. Oh, no, he does learn. He Italian learns it later. later. He like makes a point of learning it. But he learns the word stronzo, which was my father's one of my father's favorite words. My dad. So I have a I, there's probably a little bit of a soft spot in my heart for this book now as I've lost my dad, who was Italian and spoke Italian in a very colorful way. And so there are definitely like all the Italian in here just gave me a lot of joy. Oh, I'm sure. Movie. I'm sure it did. But in as part of this, he gets shipped off to school. His mom gets shipped off to Well, she takes she off. leaves. Yeah, yeah, she leaves. He stays. He gets shipped off to school where he is brutally bullied and tortured for the way he looks, for his weird nose, for his scandalous mom. For everything, yeah. um, for his darkness, his dark hair and his dark skin, his olive, his olive complexion. And um, like, it's just awful and monstrous. And he won't cow. Oh, he never. too won't cow, right? Like, is yeah. the sins of the mother in him. And he will never, like, look, look England in the eye. Like he will, he will never, ever allow them to, to own him. And so he, and I love the, he, he looks at the boys and he calls them stronzo, which is a great word. And I was actually prepping for this. I was like, how, what is the exact, it's asshole, but it's (laughs) asshole with like pure disgust and disdain. Mm. Like it's a, it's a word you use when like. You just like you can't even bear to think about how, like how much how stupid this person yeah. is. It's a really it's like a it's a non. There's no direct translation. Yeah, one of the things I really love about the prologue though is that the like from being laid this low and him being refusing to cow, the way that things turn for him is that people start to admire this in him. And the thing mm-hmm. that I really love is that when his father finally dies, he the father has essentially purposefully, as a way to, like, one last way to fuck with him, like, bankrupted himself as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And Dane is like, yeah, no big deal. And, like, him sort of ruthlessly kind of fixing these problems, like it's child's play. Yep. And then, like, selling it all off. Selling it all off and keeping what he had to and ruthlessly reorganizing and then, like, flouncing off to Paris, like, essentially never to darken the doorstep of England again. It's is awesome. It's awesome, right? Because you sense in him this, the I, like, his need for control, but his ability to actually, like, bend everything he sees to his will. Yep. I mean it it absolutely sets up him as a character who but but instead of thinking he's a jerk, we admire him. Well, of course you do, which is why the prologue is essential because yeah. the second you get to Dane in Ooh. current time in Paris, <laughs> this guy is a proper 
fucker. Yeah. And like, <laughs> like, Thromso. <laughs> right. Exactly. I mean, like, he is awful. Yeah. Awful. And the yeah. only reason why we are with him at the beginning of this book, and frankly, with him through almost I would all say, of it. I would say the reason why we are with him until Jess shoots him. Yeah. Where when we become with him again. Yeah. Is because the prologue is so perfectly done. Yes. Like we are given a look into how a monster is made. Absolutely. And it is. It's urgently necessary. I think one of the things that's really interesting we are talking about. I had my um, book club at Love Sweet Arrow last week and we were talking about like and it was similar to how we talked about Gentle Rogue, right? Like a book that we felt started started too late, right? Like it, it it had too much in the beginning. It needed to start 10 chapters in. And then we were talking about another book and we were like, it started, we needed more, right? Like it needed to back up. This book, the timing of these scenes, like even the way that we are thrown into them in chapter one, meaning essentially in this shop, there is just just appears all of the backstory has been for him. Absolutely none of it is for her. And it's fascinating the way that we are then really um, like heavily weighted in his favor at this point. We have to be. Mm-hmm. So it's a really fascinating too, like the way that the structure of that opening scene, like the literal first chapter serves to like put her into like immediate conflict with him in a way where like we know nothing about her it's so well done right it's magnificent so let's talk about her because um we're 25 minutes in and we've only (laughs) talked about the prologue so um so let's talk about jess because i think jess is one of these primordial, like, she's basically a Valkyrie, right? Like, she's, yeah. she's like a primordial heroine of romance. Like, there is part of the reason, there are a lot of reasons to love this book, the prologue aside, um, the prologue included, but the, the, Jess is perfect. Oh, God. She's perfect. Yeah. So we meet her in an antique shop. Well, we don't. We meet her coming to get, set her dumb brothers straight. But she'll do a little shopping for grandma's birthday while she's at it. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, but I want to talk about that antique shop scene because I really feel like that's that's when we see her. That's when she shines. So she comes into the antique shop and Dane likes to collect beautiful things. Old, beautiful things. Um, And he's looking at stuff and she uh, is looking at, she's bought. Has she already bought the watch? And she no, she's like looking no, she's at like it, just right? Looking, she's looking at the watch, and she's looking at this very sort of grimy thing. No, he's looking at the grimy thing, right? And he's so distracted by her that then she's looking at the watch. She's looking at the watch with the like, you know, you pull the cord or whatever, and all and of a it sudden does it's dirty a, business. A lover's love service, it. right? I love it. And he's so distracted by her that he, who had been looking at the grimy thing, because she's beautiful. Like, yeah, she's beautiful, and it's great. I mean, he's just like his heart's beating faster. He yeah, doesn't know how heart. he feels. Right? It's unreal. It's Dane amazing. checks in on his heart a whole lot in this book. Have you noticed, did you notice that? Like yes. it's at the heartbeats, the level, the racing of his, pa- the racing of his heart yes. is con- like, yes. he's keenly aware of it. 
all the time. And he doesn't understand it because he's a silly, silly boy. (laughs) He's like, why is my heart going so fast? Yeah. (laughs) Right. And then, you know, her dumb brother is there distracting him and he's just like all put out by everything. You know, he's a very sensitive soul. (laughs) And this scene, though, where they like tangle, right? Like where she stands up to him, she makes a joke that shows she knows what algebra is, right? Mm-hmm. Or knows, you know, knows how mm-hmm. equations work. And it's fascinating that to see these two just like immediately it's like a dozen sparklers go off. There is no ramping up. It's just straight into this mm-hmm. conflict and chemistry all and over like, like a religious icon. Yes, as one does, right? (laughs) I mean, only Loretta Chase can make this happen the way that it does. Like, if I, if you'd said, all right, you need to start a book in an antique shop, I'd be like, I don't know, is somebody robbing it? Like, (laughs) what's happening? Yeah, it's real. So it's something, it's something else. So I think that that's the part, though, where we get her also in the role of, Like, it's her. The thing with her brother was really interesting to me this time around, right? Because she's a 27 year old spinster, right? And she's got this dream. The reason she's shopping in this store is she's going to buy this stuff and open her own like store and sell this stuff to the gentry, right? Yep. And her dumb brother does not approve. And she's like, Who's going to make this money for us, buddy? Like, yeah, we got to do it. And I'm useless. I'm not watching anybody's kids anymore. Yeah. Because she's been babysitting the cousins for 10 years or whatever. Sure. But I also think that what's remarkable about that first scene in the shop is that we see it's all foreshadowing. We oh, yeah. see Jess when she talks. So she finally gets this grimy thing in her hands and she decides mm-hmm. she's going to buy it. And Dane doesn't know what she's got. Like, oh, no. he's been holding it. She has he has no idea what he's holding. And she's like and then she she like negotiates with the shop owner down, oh, yeah. down, down. And then she's like, well, fine, if you won't give me 30, if you won't let me have it for 25, then um, I just want the watch. I don't want yeah. the whole thing. I don't want it all. And then he's the shopkeep is like, all right, fine, you're killing me. Right. Fine. And then she walks out of there with something that ultimately is going to be worth 20,000 pounds. And it's a perfect moment of like of we don't know at the time that it's worth 20,000 pounds. It takes like what a chapter or two. like I mean, for for it to become clear. I mean, she knows exactly what she has. Yeah. And but the um, what's remarkable about this is that we we see instantly this kind of like. Here's a woman who is never going to give in. Like, she is for every bit of stubbornness and pride and shame that he has, that he is hiding behind this, like, impenetrable fortress of personality. She does not – she has stubbornness and pride and no shame – In spades. Oh, yeah. And she won't have it. She's going to fight for everything, and ultimately she's going to fight for him. And that is the joy of this book. Absolutely, because no one has ever fought for him. He's always been able to scare everybody off. And so this, like, small face-off in this store where she, like, wins, 
Yeah. And he is just like befuddled (laughs) by Mm -hmm. both her beauty and her presence and her smarts. I mean, it's like the things that he notices about her Mm -hmm. is all a setup for like what's going to happen. But also that he, in this moment, like the icon itself, like lets her go. Mm -hmm. Like he's just like, I can't, I don't really deal with ladies. And this is a lady. So I just have to let her go. And it's really fascinating because at this, I mean, he's besotted with her from the very, very beginning. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. And she's, this is what's magnificent about this book. She's besotted with him. Oh, absolutely. They are, it's page 42 in the book, (laughs) right? No, it's page 43 in the book. He's basically like, I'm going to whore my way through Paris because I can't deal with feelings. Right. right. With like the feelings I've had for this woman. I don't deal with ladies. And then she's with her amazing grandma, who's like an amazing character. Yes. And she says on page 43, uh, this is not only mortifying, but inconvenient. I am in lust with Dane of I all know. times now of all men. Him. Like, and oh, it is yeah. like, what? Like every other, I mean, like I've never written a book where they're like, oh, yeah. page 42, because how, how where how do you, do you go do from it? here? Right. These two people. Right. But of course they're like, it's perfect. It's perfect. And she's so mad and he's so confused. I know. The only one who truly understands is, is the grandmother. His grandma. Who's like, look at, set your hooks and reel him in. Mm-hmm. And it is this amazing advice from her where she's just like, look, he this is not going to end well. He's he's coming after you and it's not going to be good. So you need to go hunting for big game like this is it. Right. <laughs> this is, <laughs> this is it. Shoot your shot, Jess. <laughs> yep. And it's fascinating that her instinct instead is to. To like avoid him. And it's fascinating, too, because she understands perfectly well the kind of man he is, right? And it's her dumb brother who gives it away. I mean, there's all this really fascinating stuff about as idiotic as Dane is about understanding himself and his own feelings is as perfect as Jess is about understanding herself, her feelings, him, his feelings, and Mm -hmm. everything. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's the part that I love about her is her, oh, it's just so good, Sarah. I'm like, I don't even know. Like, I know that I just, it's perfect. It's It's so good in large part because she has his number from the start, but she is also blindsided. Like, she's like, I want him. I'm attracted to him. Yeah. I have his number. And then she thinks she knows how she's going to get him. But she thinks she'll be able to do it while keeping herself safe. Yeah. And she can't. Like, she can't. He is too much. For, like, they are too much for each other. They are yeah. perfect for each other, obviously. But, like, they've neither of them have ever met a match. That's exactly right. It's, you know, perfect. It's cat versus cat. Like, there is no. And, I mean, if anything, it's cat versus mouse with Dane as mouse. Yeah, exactly. Because every time he lays a trap for her. 
she's one step ahead of ahead of him and that's why I want to talk about the glove scene. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I was like, that's where we're heading because it's happening. Right. I mean, I want to point out, like, I want to go back to the whole, like, reel him in, right? And what the grandmother says is, um, that is a man who gets what he wants, Jessica. And if I were you, I should not want him to be the one reeling in the line. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, this shit's happening. And if you're, it's real or be reeled. Mm-hmm. And she, I think, does take this advice to heart. So when we get to the glove scene, and I want to say, I would like to say, I didn't do a lot of research for this, but I am convinced that Loretta Chase watched the Age of Innocence movie. <laughs> Bef- I mean, it is also a scene in the book. And I mean, it's in the book, basically, and I remember talking about this in college. Like, I read The Age of Innocence in college. I'll never actually forget it. My, like, the line is that he unbuttons her glove and kisses her palm like it's a relic. I mean, relic is a really interesting word. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. in the movie, right, it's like Daniel Day-Lewis, like it's like slowly <sighs> unbuttoning the glove, right? Daniel Day-Lewis can get it, man. <laughs> no kidding, right? <laughs> He's so, so intense. And there's Daniel Day-Lewis, and he's sitting in a chair. Now, I'd heard that he was a little bit intense, right? But he's not really. He's really the most intense person <laughs> that has ever lived on Earth. is sitting in a chair and I am terrified of him. It is like a jungle cat has wandered onto the cell. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, uh, what do you do? Uh, uh, are you supposed to move around a lot or stay perfectly still? What, what are the rules of Daniel Day-Lewis? Oh, God. All he does is like pine and long and smolder. It's so intense. And so, yeah, I mean, there's no part of me. That movie came out in 1993. Obviously, The Age of Innocence has been around for 100 years at this point. But um, so writing this in 1995, like it definitely felt I felt that. So um, talk about the glove scene. And I want you to talk about it with like the writer's eye. Because it's an amazing moment. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a battle, right, back and forth. So, basically, um, Jess is trying to get – I mean, Jess is trying to get Dane by this point. But she's really – but, like, ostensibly, externally, like, the external conflict (laughs) is this brother. Yeah. So, essentially, Jess is convinced that her idiotic brother is – that way, because he is under the nefarious influence of Dane and his, like, libertine friends, which is partially true, but also Bertie's, you know, Bertie. <laughs> right. Like, uh, like Bertie comes to the table, too. Like, it's everybody meets everyone halfway here. <laughs> um, but, but Jess is basically like, look, my brother's a simpleton. Like, he's a yeah. proper nitwit. You and I both know that. You're ruining his finances and his life, and I need you to stay away from his... From him forever. And Dane is like, I mean, I guess I will. But now I know what that relic is and I want it. And she's like, pardon? Yeah. (laughs) No, no, it's my relic. Like, I found it. It's mine. Yeah. And he offers her He's so this so they go to this dinner they're at this dinner party in front or of like it's like a restaurant, like a, a tea party, yeah, something like, something, like some, a tea there, shop. There are lots and lots of people around. Yeah. And they're all but there are people they know there too who are watching them. 
Um, and so anyways, so they're sitting together and he's like, um, and she's like, he's like, here's the deal. It's $1,500, 1500 pounds to you for the relic. Yeah. And I'll leave Birdie alone or I'm ruining your. Yeah. Your reputation. Your reputation. Yeah. Like now he's playing dirty. Right. Right. And she's like, fuck off. Like, no, I said, right. don't no. threaten me. Right. Yeah. I said, no, you don't get the relic. And he's like, and she's like, and what are you going to do? Like, how are you going to ruin my reputation? I'm not going to ever be alone with you. I'm not an idiot. And he takes her hand and he starts to unbutton her glove, which, of course, is. Oh, yeah, sure. Very not done. (laughs) (laughs) Wrists are not allowed. (laughs) And he's touching her. I mean, like, we're talking about. The Regency, like, you don't yeah. touch women. Like, right. men do not touch women. And so he takes her glove, and she, of course, is so badass. She's like, I'm not going to let it happen. Like, fine. Right. And he, we're in his POV, which is a genius choice. Mm-hmm. And he starts to speak to her in Italian. He starts to whisper nothings into yeah. her, like... It, nothings in right. her ear, but like loud enough that everyone can hear that he's whispering nothings. Mm-hmm. And he's like talking about his horse. Yeah. And the weather. Dreams. And like whatever. And he's slowly unbuttoning her glove and he's watching her. And at first she seems like completely unmoved. And then she starts to get a little doe eyed. And then he's like, he starts to notice his pulse, like his oh, heart yeah, right? beginning mm-hmm. to race. And he's like measuring his heartbeat against the buttons of her glove. And then he realizes that he's no longer talking about his horse and the weather. He's I know. actually telling her in Italian all the nasty, dirty things he wants to do to her. Oh, yeah. And he is losing his mind. Oh, my God. I mean, he's like, it's like this. <laughs> <laughs> and read, oh. like, in you as the reader, like, you're getting breathless. Oh, absolutely. It. And you're convinced Jess is in it. Mm-hmm. And then it all smacks him over the head. Oh, God. It's this amazing it's moment where she's like, I'm sorry. And he was like, sorry for what? And she's like, I'm sorry for what this will do to your reputation. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, like. And, and he's she- like. I'm the one unbuttoning your glove. It's your <laughs> reputation. And he's like, you're in a salon with a lady making love to her in Italian, unbuttoning her glove. Like, you're never going to recover. I Awkward. <laughs> yeah. She's like, and she raises her voice just a touch. And she says, and the Marquis of Dane is in love. Oh, and yeah. he's like, <gasps> what have you done? <laughs> right. And she basically because, like, is like. This is the only thing. Like, he cannot yeah. allow anybody to believe that he has care Feelings. in the world for yeah. anything. Because yeah. Matt, because that poor little boy who, like, built up this wall around him, himself, like, cannot feel. If he does, he'll feel pain. Right. Like, because nobody has ever been kind to him. Not that Dane knows all of this. Dane is right, of course absolutely not. dumb about all of his feelings. Sure. Which is what makes him like a perfect alpha. We'll get to it. But yeah, what she says to him is like, if you don't let go of my hand, I'm gonna kiss you. 
right? <laughs> and she, and the thing that's amazing about it is like, we understand from that she really means like, I am super into this and we are like, we blew way past something we shouldn't mm-hmm. have blown through. And he, he cannot believe that she would feel this way about no, him. No, he takes it as a threat and he starts right. to question her. Like he starts to question everything about her. Like yeah. he has read her as being very honest and forthright. Right. Which is part of why he's so com- like drawn to her. And truthfully, she is. Right. right? He is correct. He is correct and should be. But right. in that moment, he so can't believe yes. that she would want him. Yeah. That anyone would want him. Like he's paid for sex. And he for, has yeah. this like he we we ultimately discover that he has a, a son with somebody who was manipulating him for money. Right. There's a story about him being manipulated, like him being like tricked into kissing a woman and then like mm-hmm. out from the hedge yes. pops her mom. Right. Like, and all of and, a sudden he's going to get married. Yeah. I mean, so. So like he is used to being manipulated by women into believing that they want him for right. himself and then lied to. Right. So this moment where she really is, I mean, and then, I mean, is this when he kisses her? It's like right after this scene, right? Yeah. He, oh, no, no, it's not, right? It's it's a couple he weeks. It's in this scene. No, no, right. It's later, right? She goes to his house. She thinks she knows Birdie is there. And he, um, there's this amazing bet that gets placed. It's like one of my favorite fucking, oh, uh, bet. Jesus Christ. Anyway. One of the, like, shitty friends, right, yeah, Yeah. says he'll follow her somewhere. Mm -hmm. That's the first thing, right? And then they're, like, he's going to follow her. And it's just, like, such a, like, really specific way of, like, noting that he'll be besotted, right? So, you know, she shows up at Bertie's house. He's drunk. Or Bertie is at his house. He's drunk. And she basically walks in on Dane with, like, and a room full of prostitutes. Yes. And she's basically like, sorry, I didn't mean awkward. I'm going to leave now, right? And just turns around and he chases after her. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's, like, half. And Vautry has to pay. Yes. He's half clothed. And they, like, on end the street, up in some in a, street. Like, Beneath oh, a lamp, like a, a lamp post. Yes. Yeah. Oh, it's so sexy. Oh, and God. Here's the right? interesting. So, I want to talk about two things here. I want to talk about the fact that um, wh- I want to talk about two writing things, if you don't mind. Like yeah. Me no, no. Craft for two points. I, One point that's all I, I want to talk about. made on an earlier episode, and I apologize for maybe because I feel like we've had this conversation. So, but hang on. That's my second point. My first point is. The only reason why all this works is because on page, and I hadn't realized this until this moment, is because on page 42, we hear Jess say, shit, I'm in love. Like, I want him. Right? I want him. Like, we know from before anything, like, she meets him in the store. Mm-hmm. She hasn't decided to, how she's, like, how she's going to play this birdie thing. And right. she comes back to her grandmother, and in a moment of pure authenticity, she says, I want him. I want and him. And so we, as the reader, are like, okay, she wants him. And we, we maybe want him, too. Like, she's seeing something in him that. Like, she's seeing something in him that, like, we already know from the prologue. It's just so perfectly knit together structurally from a writing perspective. Because at no point we believe Dane 
We believe two things, and what Loretta Chase does for us is she lays two things out from the start. One is Dane does not believe he is lovable, and two right. is Jess believes Dane is lovable from the start, from the yes. jump. That's right. That's right. So there is no moment where we we both understand the misunderstanding, right? We, yes. We go for the ride with Dane thinking that she can't love him mm-hmm. and she must be lying. And we go for the and the and we believe that all while knowing that he is wrong. Right. right. And so, like, what's amazing here, craft wise, is she's Loretta Chase is able to basically build an entire romance novel on a misunderstanding, like on a on the idea that one person would think the other person is lying. Without Which them actually lying. Yeah. Not right. Work. It should right. it should be it should get boring. Like yeah, well, perfect. I would also point out that the, for me, the other layer is Genevieve's, like, right? The grandmother mm. is essentially like, I've been around the block a few times and he wants you. It's going to happen. So you might as well be the one in the driver's seat or else you're going to get pulled under the wheels. Yeah. And I think the layer that adds then is we know that Jess is like kind of playing to win. Because only because she thinks and understands that there's no way this clash of the Titans isn't going to end up with them together. Do we think that Jess, do you think Jess thinks they're going to end up together? I think. I think she thinks they're going to end up like. In bed. Boning. Yes. Right. For sure. I don't think she thinks. to her that marriage is on the table. Oh, no, I agree. But I, I think. At that, in the early moment. Yeah. But I, even the part that's fascinating and I. We can get back to the kissing in a minute yeah. is she understands that they are being pl- like they're on display. All of Paris is watching them and yeah. she has to play her part. She can't embarrass him. Yep. Like the part where they're both invited to the same ball and she knows that he might not show up. But if he does show up and she's not perfectly quaffed and perfectly dressed and amazingly turned out, she does. And it's a really fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like she's like, look. I don't like the parts we're playing. I wish it wasn't public, but since it is, we have to follow through. Yeah. And there's a sense for, of her understanding that there are rules and boundaries. And he, of course, doesn't play by those rules. We've seen this already, but she still thinks that there are rules. Right. Well, but also part of the reason why she, has to be perfect for him is because she's aware, like, she has his number. She understands yeah. what he thinks about himself. Like, yeah. there's something, it's really romantic, and it's a beautiful gift she gives him. Every time she yeah. turns up and she plays that part and mm-hmm. she's perfect, she's oh, yeah. giving him a gift, which is the most beautiful woman in Paris is, is yours. in lust with you. Yeah. Yeah. And like he can't. And with you. Deal. Right. He yeah. cannot deal. So um, also I want to briefly talk about this wager. The the way that oh, yeah. um, Loretta uses Vautry. So Vautry who is in debt and needs money. Um, we The POV shifts to him mm-hmm. every time there's a wager. And it shifts like it's sort of like it pulls out to a third party who's looking like Who's looking in on it? And Vautry's constantly like, there's no way Dane will ever, ever do someone. this. Right. Like, it's just so completely 
it's unfathomable that he would do this. So, yes, I'll take the wager. In fact, I won't take it for 150. I'll take it for 200. Right. And then so like we as the reader are given this second look at him like he's he's unshakable. Right. Like and then so when he's shaken, we are we're it's it's activated as a reminder that like this is huge. The things that are happening are are exponentially yes. bigger. Yes. Again, it's just such thoughtful, skilled writing. Oh, yeah. It's amazing. Right? It's so perfect. Yeah. So let's talk about Shoot Me. Um, So, like, we talked about this. The, but the can first... we talk about the sticks, the fan and the sticks? Oh, yeah. Let's talk about that first. Just because I fucking okay, hate it. I want to read that part because I love it. All right. You find it. I just want to say, everyone... I know it's wrong to love this. Oh my god. I have reread this scene a oh thousand times. Except it's not a wrong thousand to love times. It. Right? Except <laughs> it is not wrong to love it. Well, so this is the ball, right? Like they've had this wild kiss out in the, you know, under the lamppost. And, you know, Dane, of course, feels like, oh my God, I took advantage of her. She goes back and tells her grandmother, I had to, like, beat him into kissing me for real, right? Like, she knows what she's doing, and he is just, like, misunderstanding mm-hmm. everything. And yet he cannot keep himself from showing up at this ball, right? And so she's had this fan of sticks, right? And, like, the gentleman writes his name on it, and that's who the dance is with. And she's left a couple blank in case he shows up. But now it's, like, midnight. <laughs> and so and she's he, you know, because he a whiff of brimstone. And because he's a the, dick and he right? didn't show up with right? brimstone. <laughs> I think it actually literally says that. Yeah. So, you know, and it's midnight and he like sweeps so he, in. Yeah. Right. And he goes right to her. And he says, we'll dance. <laughs> and she's like, no, we won't. I saved you dances and you didn't turn up and I'm giving I gave him away. So I already have a partner. And he's like, yeah, you have me. Like, I'm here. It's me. And she's like, and she holds her fan up and she says, look carefully. Do you see Beelzebub written there? And he says, I'm not short-sighted. And he takes the fan from her. You needn't hold it so close. Ah, yes. Is this the one? He pointed to a stick. Rouvier? Yes, she said, looking past him. Here he comes. Dane turned. A Frenchman was warily approaching. His countenance pale. Dane fanned himself with the fan. The man paused, smiling. Dane pressed thumb and forefinger to the stick with Rouvier written on it. It snapped. Rouvier went away. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I Wait, love it so, so then much. He breaks every All the sticks. stick. Everyone. Every st- he gives, he shoves the fan into a fern. <laughs> and then this is why it is not wrong that you love it, Jen. This is why I will go to my grave defending everyone who loves this scene. It was a primitive display, Jessica told herself. On the scale of social development, it was about one notch above hitting her over the head with a club and dragging her away for it by her hair. Only Dane could get away with it, just as only he could clear the field of rivals simply by telling them, without the smallest self-consciousness or subtlety, or subtlety to go away. And only she 
besotted lunatic that she was <laughs> right. would find, would find it, all it romantic. dizzyingly romantic. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's so good. It is the ultimate mine. It is oh, mine. Yeah. mine. Mine, 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 mine. It's Breaking demon sticks, mine, He's, right? His demon seal, just fucking broken. <laughs> it is. Of course, we love it, right? Of course, we love it. It is. And it's you know what? So she loves it. And she loves he's it. He's been right? blooded. He's been oh, blooded. Yeah. And he just can't. He cannot deal. Right. He is a Roth brother. <laughs> it's so true. Deal. Yeah. Well, and then they dance, and he's got the sexy continental style, right? Like it's, yeah, <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what that sexy. means. You're like, I'm with, you, I'm with you. So I think the part about, and the thing that I, it was funny for me, like rereading, rereading, which I, of course, have read this book a million times, but I very rarely read it through right from beginning to end, is I had sort of forgotten how long. It really is until we get to this moment. And then it's right after the breaking of the sticks that he takes her out into the gardens and he like they're he ruins her. He ruins her. Right. And they are both really into it. And she is totally down with it all until they see that people are watching. Then they are found. And he thinks he has like a flashback. Right. To, so he has a, this is why, yes, you were, you were right yeah. to go here first. So he has a flashback to the woman who he also, to a different woman who he right. also believed loved him. Right. Who he also kissed in the gardens. Yeah. And whose mother leapt out of a hedge. Yes. And when he finally goes to do the right thing and marry this woman, he reads that they are like hosing him. Like for right. like every, like every uh, inch of money that they can get. Right? right. And he is um, – and so he says, uh, sh- I'm leaving. And yeah. her father says, you've done a terrible thing. Like, I should call right. you out. And he says, so shoot me. Yeah. And it's the first time we see those words on the page. Mm-hmm. And then he disappears into – in current in current Paris. He disappears to his, you know, passel of women – and then he says, and and she turns up, and he's what drunk? Oh yeah, on but a she couch. is like, I mean, this is not accidental. She goes home, she puts on like a red dress, she wear, like lays a mantilla. Oh over yeah, because she right? says, I, I'm sorry, I missed the part where she yeah. says, "You ruined me. You have you to ru- marry me. Like you're, there's, you can protect me. Yeah, you have to right? protect me." And yeah. he says, "Shoot me." Shoot. Yeah. And she and it's this fascinating moment where she immediately does all the calculus about what this is going to mean for her life and how because he, women he, have to. Yes. Yes. And she knows what it means. She also knows that this is reprehensible, right? Like they were in it together. Yeah, fuck this guy. Oh, and so she is like I mean it and it's this fast. is real risky. Like this is yeah. really taking the finger cuz he is unforgivably mean at this right. point. And he, it's really interesting. We get, you know, again, we know what he's thinking, but the fact that she is so clear-headed and he is not, 
right? And we have seen this again and again, but the stakes right here are so high. Mm -hmm. And he cannot, like, put together, like, wait, those are my friends. And the reason they're watching, these are these assholes I don't even really like. And he is completely unable to do any of the, like, like, right, mental calculations that she does in a split second. And he does. He just takes off and leaves her, like, leaves her to the mercies of these gossips and, you know, she's ruined and there's, it's going to get back to London in, you know, days and it's all, it's all done, right? She's done. And she has been fighting and fighting, fighting to not be like a spit, you know what I mean? To like be in charge of her own life. And this one moment is going to ruin it all for her. And I Mm -hmm. think that it's really important that we've seen her, how hard she's worked to essentially be her own woman at this point, mm-hmm. right? It's not just some dumb young schoolgirl like getting ruined. Like this is like she's like I am fucked right now. Yeah, I am well and truly fucked. Like yeah, she had a plan. She had a life mapped out. She's not young. She's not stupid. She's very calculated in yeah. everything. And she, as you said, like she's hunting big game, and she thought she could do it. And then she let her – they both let their guards down. Let their guard down, down. yeah. But, like, he let his guard down and misjudged her as being worse than she was. Mm -hmm. She let her guard down and misjudged him as being better. Yeah. And that sucks. She's She's furious, but I think she's also sad. Like, I think she's also – She's oh yeah, disappointed. Ups- like she's disappointed I mean, in herself, in him. Yes, like right. she, like it's just awful what he's done. It's yeah. awful. He deserves cold storage forever, or to be shot. I it, it's cold storage or shooting. Fine. And as we know, <laughs> ice is tough. Yeah, in the regencies, <laughs> right. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, it, but it's fascinating, too, because, like, right, so she, and it's, Sarah, do we get her, like, so going home and getting dressed no. and planning? No. no. she. It's also you really interesting, you right? Cannot, you can't. You can't you have can't. it because you yeah. can't know what she's, I mean, like, the last line of chapter seven is she pulled the trigger, right? Yeah. And, like, the moment that that happens, it has to be, like, the only way. We that, have to be as surprised as he is, You have right? to feel shot, too. Yeah. And the whole time, look, romance readers feel shot because the heroine doesn't shoot the hero. That's not a thing that happens. It happens later in a Beverly Jenkins book. In Beverly Jenkins, right. after this. And there is, I think, a hair. This is another moment that's a hair Mm -hmm. nod. There is a hair novel where the heroine shoots the hero, but it does not read like this. It's a different kind of thing. But... So he shoots her and then my – or she shoots him. And my favorite thing is everyone's going crazy. And the way that this is written is very much a distant POV, right? Like oh, for sure. He he gets like, shot and then the POV moves to like 30,000 feet. Yeah. And tells – and like it's like watching a movie. Yes. And so everyone's going cuckoo. <laughs> They're all like – All the clock happens, running right? Like, around. She's like, I'm going to go turn in myself in the police. And like she the cop, goes the, the doctor's going to be called police. <laughs> she's, I she love that. She turns herself in and they're like, uh, what? A passionate um, woman will send you home. <laughs> Have some tea. And literally what she, and it turns out it becomes clear 
Yeah. That what she has done is set him up because oh God, yeah. there is literally nothing that he can do where it doesn't seem like he's been he's been like she's had one over on him. Oh, yeah. It's so fucking brilliant. Well, she goes – what's interesting is then she sends her lawyer in. (laughs) Which is, again, grandmother's boyfriend is like, let me get you the best lawyer in town. Yeah. (laughs) And so, like – and she sends her lawyer in to basically say, you've ruined my reputation. Mm -hmm. And um, it's – I'm clearly not ever going to be able to be married. Sure. And so now you owe me a per annum (laughs) and also, like – Everything. Yeah. Like a mental, small island, perhaps. Yeah, mental damage. Yeah, like all of that emotional, emotional damages, and it's going to cost you a fucking lot of money. Yeah, and then he says, and then this well, is another. It's cat. It's cat versus cat, right? So here, Jess is like riding high. Yeah, and he says, "Well, I'm not in the practice of buying things, of paying for things that don't that then don't belong to me." Yeah, right. So we'll get married. Get married. And there's this brilliant moment, and this is, I think, the, the like, first of uh, many. <laughs> yeah, but it's also the first of many moments where she really is able to then see through, like for, like right. She's like, oh, yes. right. He's yes. so. There's this kernel of longing in what he wants, and he she doesn't hears, think I'm going to do it. Yeah, she hears uncertainty. Like yes. he laughs in this like. Right. Supercilious, arrogant way. Yeah. And, and she, she hears it. Hears the uncertainty. The little of boy in him. Child. Like, yep. oh, it's so good. Yeah. And, and this she is, loves him. She's, yeah. she loves him. Yeah. And this is when I think we really get the sense of her being like, oh, I, it's not that he was like, better than I thought he was. It was that, like, he's less mature than I thought he was. Like, there's something in him that's real broken, and I'm going to have to treat him like a... It's... it's, it's. I don't think it's infantilizing. It doesn't bother me, but that, like, something about her insight about raising these, like, ten boy cousins has Hmm. given her to, like, him beyond a man, but, like, to something more vulnerable underneath. It worked for me. Right? Oh. with, and I, yeah, we see it a question. lot, right? When he gets drunk on their wedding night, when he, all those things, she's able Ugh. to kind of be like, wait, what the fuck is this dumbass doing? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and then, well, what's really interesting is that the POV out, like, she's really fucking with POV too. Here. Oh, like, yeah. In really interesting ways, like throughout the whole book. Mm-hmm. But like these scenes are remarkable because like the POV goes like almost fully omniscient. Right. Yes. In these scenes. So we hear Jess, we see Jess hear the, his uncertainty. We see Jess mm-hmm. do all the calculus of like, mm-hmm. should I say yes? Like, is this a good risk? Like, am I right in what I've heard? And then she says yes. Right. Like she basically right. says like, I should give right, anything fine. to be a fly on the wall when you explain to your, our betrothal to your friends. Beelzebub. And then this line, he stared at her, afraid to trust his hearing. Trust yeah. is a really interesting word there, right? Sure. Like, it it could have been written in a number of different ways, but trust is, like, look, there's no question Loretta Chase wrote every word here intentionally. Trust is the word she uses because suddenly we're in Dane's head mm-hmm. and he's going, oh, my God. It I worked. I just won her. Yeah. Right? I fucked it up so bad. 
she shot me, <laughs> but I, it's, but now I'm get, she's right? mine. Yeah. Like, I get to have the icon. Yep. Yeah. And his unwillingness to, at this point, he goes like full, like, what is the most respectable way to do this? We're going back to London. We're getting, we're going to read the bands. Oh. We're going to St. George's Hanover fucking square, which I had to look up. Right? <laughs> we're going to do all this in the way that it is done. Mm-hmm. Because now here's the deal. Right. I'm sorry. No, that's I it. I cut you off because I got so excited because this is another moment where as a writer, it's important. Okay. Paris gives Loretta freedom. Mm-hmm. To do these crazy things and take the finger. Right. England makes it, it tightens the reins again, right? Yep. So what what begins as Beauty and the Beast, now 40% of the way through the book, P.S., yeah. in the hands of literally anyone else, including myself, the book's this over. book is now at 80%. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, but we are 40% of the way, like, the fact that all of this has happened and we're not even halfway is bonkers to me. So we're going to get on a boat. We're going to go back to England. And suddenly we're marriage in trouble. And all the reins have all tightened, have tightened. It's now like two married people falling in love. And it is a completely different book after this. Yeah. Like it is. And it's, it's fascinating. Magnificent. And because, I cannot figure it out. <laughs> well, how because she, pacing wise. How it works. It should not work. It should not work. And so this is where I want to talk about internal and external conflict. Because up until this point. The conflict has completely been between the two of them. Mm-hmm. And then we, and and th- that still exists. I mean, there's these hilarious fucking scenes where Dane's like, <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm going to break her in half with my solid, you know, my huge, massive penis or whatever, right? Like, all, <laughs> sorry, like, my penis right? is so big. I, you know, you're just so dainty. I'm going to fuck you in half, right? I mean, so we get all of this, like, all of this internal stuff from him. And certainly we get, you know, there's sort of some business around planning the wedding. And she's, like, sort of overwrought with it. And then he takes care of it or whatever. But it's really fascinating the way the pacing changes to then pretty quickly being the the external conflict of the pressure with friends with Beaumont setting them up and then the arrival of Dominic and I feel like I'm going to say something which is like again this is a personal me as a reader yep I often feel like (laughs) authors create a lot of really strong internal conflict and then solve it with some external crisis and it almost never works for me and rereading Lord of Scoundrels, I was like, that's because she makes it look so easy. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard to do. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of reasons the in, the external conflict that does sort of like bring it all to a head at the end works is because she has been laying the groundwork for it all along. Mm-hmm. But I feel like this is like, to me, it's almost like, you know, everyone's like, oh, yeah, like that's how it works in Lord of Scoundrels. And I'm like, it's not. Yeah. And so it's just really interesting because the whole second act is marriage and trouble. And then the third act is 
Like it's internal again. Yes. The third act, I mean, like, whatever, Charity Graves and whatever. No, none of that matters. All of that. It doesn't matter. The third act is internal again. And it also shouldn't work for me because I hate children. (laughs) But so, I mean, not my own. My own is fine. Yours is nice, too. But the, like, the point is that, like, children are a way of solving a plot. Right. Yes. It's hard to do it. They're just a mess. And Dominic's whole structure is I mean, like Dominic is on the page for D- because here's the deal: Dane cannot ever believe he is lovable. He cannot ever believe it. So the second act of this book is Jess, like, kind of showing him that like she loves him. She yeah. like he's lovable. Like they can make this work. But he's and he's like writing it off over and over and over again. Like I like fine. We have great sex, but. Like, I think that's why they have to fuck in the cemetery, because I think that's when he finally, like, that finally dies. I got to say that. Like, I don't know. <laughs> like, the part where, he, like, she realizes well, he's just acting like that? a jerk. Where does that happen in the book? Well, here's the thing, though. Here's the moment, though, that happens before. I mean, they're having this huge battle of wills, right? Fun and fact, she- my high school, one of my... Like, good friends is from high school, lost your virginity in a, in a cemetery. Uh-huh. So, well, there you go. I mean, where else are you going to go when you're a teenager? Why not? I anyway, mean, go on. Sure. But <laughs> they go to this, like, wrestling match, and she's really pissed. Yeah. Why are we oh, doing this? because she's, like, gotten him all hot and bothered, and then he's mad there because he— And then he says, you know, I could have been, like, at home comfortably pumping my wife or whatever. It's, like, the most ridiculous <laughs> line. And she's like, wait, comfortable? Like, he's happy, right? And he has been just, like, grousing around, like, stomping around like the beast. And I think that then, like, he's like, he literally drags her off and they fuck in the cemetery. And it is really... Wait, and you think that that's... Because obviously, like, yes, he is happy, but he's constantly waiting. He doesn't believe she is. And then she does that that thing where she just decides to agree with him all the time. But that's after, no, I mean, like, look, this all happens all at once, right? Because it is literally after this thing in the cemetery, which again, for any other author, the book would have been ended, that then Charity Graves and Dominic appear. Well, because I think Loretta realizes that it's not enough. It's not enough. Love from Jess is not going to, so here's the thing, if you think about, like, If you think about Dane, like, as the center, right, like, on a spectrum, there's, like, his past is him having spent 30-some-odd years, like, believing that he was unlovable, believing that he will never be loved, believing he will never deserve it. Even if he gets it, it's always ephemeral, right? It can always be lost. And then there's, like, this heartbeat of time, like, what, three months, six months, where they're, like... Where he's happy, but it's, it's not even that long. I don't think. No, yeah. I don't even think it is Couple either. Weeks, so, yeah. so like happiness is in grasp, but like happiness is bullshit. Happiness doesn't last. Like happiness is none of those things. And the reality is, is that Jess could say it to him until they die, and he would never believe it because he has never experienced any other kind of love. Right. Right. Well, and I think this is why. Like to me, these. Like, two scenes are really the scenes where we see, like, Dane level up, right? Like, he gets shot, and then Dominic appears. And in both of these scenes, the key the key thing is just being, like, 
you should have done better. You should have protected me. And then in this part, it's like, I can't believe you let him get away. You fucking idiot. You had your son in your hands and you let him go. And Dane was like, that's not the way I thought this was going to go at all. I thought you were going to say, how dare you have this bastard son. And she's like, you idiot. Like, you idiot. You let him go. You needed to do better. You needed to protect me. And now you need to protect him. I mean, isn't this like, this is just one of those moments where you're like, God, it feels so real because it's like, I feel like that's all women do all the time. It's be like, you need to do better. You need to treat me better. You need to treat the world better. Like, do better. Men do better. Yeah. Like, yeah. And this is, I mean, like every time, you know, we had, we did our alpha episode and we talked over and over again about how, like what patriarchy means when it's on the page, what toxic masculinity means when it's on the page, how toxic masculinity is so dangerous for men too. And like this book, this is it. It's that every, every time. time he is standing in his own way. Every All page the time. of this book. Yep. And it is because he cannot get out from underneath the toxicity. Yeah. Yeah, He's, absolutely. And it is so perfectly done because she is just banging her head against the wall. Like, constantly. And so this is when she basically goes into, like, fine, I'm going to give you what you want. I'm going to agree with everything you say. I <laughs> defy any wife to tell me. <laughs> That she has not at one point or another said, All right. fine, fuck fine. it. Yeah, totally. <laughs> this is fine for me. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, because sometimes you're just like, I can't fucking do this. I don't want to fight I patriarchy know. in this moment. Like, I know. Fine. Do whatever okay. the fuck you want. Yes, you can build that Ikea shelf. You're right. <laughs> I think it is. I mean, but this is it. And that's the part that, again, like structurally, like we've got these three acts Ugh. And it is. And I just want to point this out, like craft wise, I think that's why when we say Lord of Scoundrels is one of the best romances ever, it is this is what I'm talking about. It's because, and I'm going to probably get in trouble for saying this, but it's because it transcends the genre. In every way. It really does. Like, it is a book that if somebody came to me and said, I think romance is useless I think it's silly. I've never seen a romance have nuance or, like, obviously we know that's not true. Like, Jen and I talk every week about books that are great. But this is a book I feel I could hand to any fan, anybody who reads literary fiction, and say, this book is perfectly constructed. It is not, like, it transcends the genre. And there are maybe five romances that I feel that way about. Mm. Like, that are perfect as, like, in any, like, in any school of thought. Yeah. I mean, there are many, many more that I think are perfect romances. Right. And, like, I don't expect, I don't want my romance. The other thing is, is this book should absolutely not work for me on every level because I don't want my books to be more than romances. Like, or different than, like, not more. More is the wrong word. But, like, I don't want my words, my books to be literary fiction. Of course not. But I think it it's, and that's, like, a really interesting comment because I, I am the same way. But 
as a romance, it is also so perfect, right? That I'm like, okay, fine. It's doing other things, but also it's pretty fucking great. I mean, also like the level of research, the level of sentence, the (sighs) sentence, like right down to the sentences. Like she is, this is a magnificent book. Like there are, are there problems with it? Are there things from 1995 that like (sighs) do not fly, do not play in 2019? Yes. Do I care? ish but like does it matter really does it change the power of it no not even a little for me yeah i I mean like really i could do without the fat shaming i could do i could really do without her virgin white flesh and him his dark like that i'm all like i could do without the like the like there there are moments of that subplot with the queer guy who like the guy like poly guy that don't write they don't read right anymore um and i acknowledge all that like this was all we've said this from the start you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater and like this book has so it's so perfect on so many level levels um i had a whole rant about byron i am curious about it 20 we're like (laughs) at an hour and 21 minutes i mean i i just like so there's a whole she reads him when they get back to london when they get back to england there's this moment where she sort of picks up Byron and he's got Byron's Don Juan, which had been published uh, several years earlier. And um, she says, oh, you're a I'm like, look, Don, Don Juan is so uh, interestingly there. It's very meta. The Byronic hero. I mean, like Dane really is a Byronic hero. Um, this sort of like cold, impenetrable, romantic, like windswept, <laughs> dark, like dark hair, dark eyed, like hero. Sure. Who then, like, through love is, like, redeemed. has no understanding of emotions whatsoever and then through love is redeemed. Mm-hmm. But um, so we see this. So there's that sort of meta moment where, where Loretta's kind of winking at everyone and saying, like, oh, look, he's reading Don Juan, the ultimate Byronic hero. And <laughs> he is one. Um, but no, Byron is terrible. <laughs> Pause. <laughs> record scratch byron is the fucking worst you guys like he is <laughs> name checked in every romance novel from a certain time as being like this remarkable yes. like wonderful person he wasn't he was fucking awful he had a terrible childhood and he had a terrible father who then like bred a terrible son who was also a terrible father he slept with anything that moved he had multiple mm-hmm. affairs he slept with he had an affair with his half sister while she was married and got a she got pregnant that it is widely believed that her child is his child wow um he like he slept with his cousin um also got her pregnant they were both married at the time his legitimate wife so there was this so there was a scandal and he had to get married real quick he married his actual wife, uh, had a daughter. Oh, these were all girls, by the way. So, like, super great dad. Great yeah. representation for the, the girls. Um, he had an actual real daughter who he left when she was, like, 16 months old or 18 months old. He mm. never returned to meet her again. Partially this was because his actual wife, Lady Byron, was like, I don't want you anywhere near my daughter like you're yeah right. gross and awful um and that daughter was otta lovelace who was the first computer programmer 
Um, That's amazing. And is magnificent in every way and became a computer programmer because her mother was like, no, you will never be a poet. You will learn math and science. Like, I want you nowhere near your father. So that is the one bright spot. I will like he was terrible. He also slept with uh, Mary Shelley's cousin. He was friends Mm. with the the Shelley's. Yeah. And is actually I think this is probably false because I think it's men saying that men have more power than men do but um it is there is like this legend that the reason why mary shelley wrote frankenstein is because byron percy shelley and mary shelley were all hanging around one day and they were discussing who could come up with the scariest sure i've heard this version yeah so she wrote she came up with frankenstein whatever i mean like he's just terrible apparently he slept with her cousin and like never called (laughs) like ghosted the cousin and left her pregnant um, and then when that daughter was born, uh, he was so he clearly had a falling out with the Shelleys. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. Um, and uh, he refused to let his daughter, that daughter live with the Shelleys. So he shipped he sent like he basically told this woman that he was going to he'd give her money, but only if she left England and the Shelleys and never went back. And uh, he was just a monster. He's terrible. Like, I get it. He wrote some great poetry, but, like, bleh. Be better. You know, one of my favorite, it's <laughs> yeah, ironic, be my men. favorite, be better, man. One of my favorite English classes in college was about the romantics. And I really remember we did less Byron and a lot more, like, Wordsworth and Shelley. Oh, he hated Wordsworth. He called Wordsworth Turdsworth. So this is the kind of, like, crackerjack mind we're dealing with. <laughs> well, I just want to say thank you, Dr. Radcliffe, all these years later, because clearly you did me a solid. We didn't do a whole lot of Byron. I mean, like, look, the, she walks in beauty like the night is fucking beautiful. But I bet he didn't yeah. I bet his, one of his <laughs> wives and one of his girlfriends wrote it and he stole it. It's like you've that's got my your, new theory. Let's pass that around, Internet. <laughs> what's it called when you have like the Shakespeare, like the author, the, you know, the author? <laughs> yeah. You you just like created your own Byron one. You're like, I bet he didn't write it. It was like the Duke of Somerville or some shit like that. Blah. <laughs> terrible, terrible, terrible person. Oh, but her reading Don Juan to him is. Mm. Oh, Oh, but actually all of this is to say I've now ranted about this. But so that okay, wonderful passage it. where she reads Don Juan to him, she – so Loretta is brilliant. She's brilliant and she's so smart and I know she does a shit ton of research. And so she name checks three stanzas in the second canto of Don Juan. Um, the first is stanza and eat, at each point he – Dane comes close – literally comes, comes closer, closer yeah. to Jess – and in the first, the first one is a stanza that's um, basically about a very old man with a very young wife mm. and the, the downfall of their marriage, which is an echo of his past. The second is about a journey about the the about Don Juan being sent um, being sent on a ship away mm-hmm. to school to Paris, like making a choice. Like he, Don goes, Don Juan goes away wherever on a Spanish ship. But like, like, again, this is sort of Dane's second act, right? Being right. sent away. And then the four, the Canto 14 or stanza 14, where, um, which is all about um, 
being like leaving home, like leaving his past, like leaving mm-hmm. Spain. Yeah. And there's this wonderful line that says, again, I don't think Byron wrote it. Um, <laughs> and it goes, um, at, uh, there is a sort of unexpressed concern, a kind of shock that sets one heart, one's heart ajar at leaving even the most unpleasant people and places. One keeps looking at the steeple. Hmm. He keeps looking back. He keeps, yeah. he can't, he can't pull himself away no matter how far away he is yeah. from his youth, from his foibles, from his pain as a child. He'll always look back until love and love in multiple ways and responsibility. Yes. Like, yeah. that's the thing about Don Juan, right? Like he's, he loves, he's a great lover, but like he never has responsibility, whereas Dane right. has well, but I also think that the gift that Jessica gives him is not just like that I love you and I'm going to show you that you can be a father to this son and that you have a responsibility to him. But one of the most poignant things about the book to me is that she gives him back his mother. And she's like, he tells her this, you know, she finds the portrait mm-hmm. and she's and, and then she hears the story and she's like, outraged at what they did to this girl and points out that like he she left him somewhere safe Mm -hmm. and I will say I find I found this like reading it again to be just like her just how um and and one of my favorite things about this book is her her whole thing is like you're so high strung and emotional I'm, you know, you just need to calm down. And he, of course, never thinks of himself this way. No. But then he, like, understands that she's right and that she's so common sense about it, right? And when he, and she reframes, like, literally reframes his mother for him. Not just, like, the actual picture, but, like, the story of who she was and what happened to her. Mm-hmm. And then this is, like, right? And then when he goes to get Dominic, And it's like, she wants to go. And he's like, no, you can't come. It's too dangerous. But he needed to do it by himself. And then his arm starts working again. And it's like, (laughs) oh, Sarah. Well, it's very Jane Eyre, that part. Um, But also, uh, no, I I just want to, I want to underscore that, the way Jessica thinks of him. Because at one point, like 85% of the way through the book, she thinks, Dane did not handle his emotional problems well. (laughs) He had only three methods for dealing with bother. Knock it down, frighten it away, or buy it off. And when the methods didn't work, he was at a loss. And so he had a tantrum. Oh, do you have it too? Oh, hell yes, I do. I was like, this is like the best. It's but that's so it. good, but it's such, yeah. it goes back to that alpha thing, right? Like that we talked about. Yes. Alphas don't understand feelings. So it's like, so, what do I hit? Like, yeah. How do I punch? What how do stick I do I break? It? How do I kill it? Right? Yeah. And how do I how do I end feeling? Like, how do I make myself not feel? And you can't. You can't because feelings are real and they're good and they're pure and they are how yeah. we get to love. Oh. And then, you know what? Like, when Dominic comes and, I mean, again, like, the way that Jessica handles, like, Charity Graves and is like, look, just take this money and run. And you know what? Like, I'm going to make this make. I just want, you know, and it's really interesting because it never feels like 
Charity never really wanted Dominic anyway, so we're sympathetic to, like, this separation between the mother and the son. I think otherwise would be honestly real gross. But, you know, she'd never really been interested in mothering. But one of my favorite lines in this book, and it's so silly, is, like, you know, Jessica and Dane are, like, asleep. And finally, it's, like, kind of everything's settled. (laughs) The next morning, Dominic's, like, running through the house. And he's, like, I wonder what Mary, like, the nurse or whatever, fed him for breakfast. Gunpowder? (laughs) like and it's really i think the other thing too is you know going back to like the idea of dane being a father which is how this had to end is now that he has a little boy he can't be the little boy anymore no no it's really interesting i know that people hate like a lot of people hate the baby log we've talked about this before right and in this case it's not exactly a baby log but the I think this book had to end this way. He had to end up with a child. Yes. Like a family that loves him and and that he can love. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, it's magnificent. I hope we did it justice. I, please tell us all about it. Tell us oh, all about everything we got wrong. Kate Claiborne has like a manifesto for us, I'm sure, by now. <laughs> I mean, it's almost like there's so much to talk about. It really is. I feel like we could do a whole season on this book. <laughs> well, um, we're not. We're not doing that. <laughs> source material, Sarah. It's source material. Hashtag source material. Um, this is Faded Mates. Find us on Twitter and Instagram. Join the Old School Romance Book Club. Well, it's not called that anymore. Join OSRBC on Facebook to talk to us um, on Wednesday mornings. Uh, we post we post the episodes there, too. Um, please subscribe. That matters a whole lot to us. Um, and like us and leave us a review if you have time. Tell your friends if you love us. You can buy some pretty awesome Faded Mates buttons at my shop from uh, my best friend Kelly. They're buttons, and um, I think we're gonna have some stickers. And then Sarah, you have really cool T-shirts. Yep, you can get uh, clothing for from now for now. Uh, just two designs from my partnership with Jordan Denae, but uh, more to come. And Jordan's going to join us uh, also in the new year for an episode of her podcast. Of or she'll join us for. A, a little bit of our episode and i'm actually on her podcast this week talking about romance in general we'll link to that in show notes um and then you know at the end of every episode now this season we are hearing from you guys so you can leave us a message at 646-450-3766 um, you can't find that number anywhere but here in your ear holes and that's a u.s number for our international callers stay tuned to the end of every episode so you can hear all of um all of your fellow reader listeners um i think that's it faded mates is produced by eric mortensen and that's it yeah read great books you guys i am in lust with dane me too <laughs> same same jess same although i wouldn't want to run a follow jess she you know no i would not in the learning the tropes style i would not i would not bang him because i would be afraid of jess fair yeah thanks everyone see you next week
Hi, this is Lindsay from Baltimore. Um, the book that got me started into romance is called Saving the CEO by Jenny Holiday. I read it because my book club selected it. The author is a cousin of one of my book club members, and we were looking for something lighter to read after some, some heavy books. And I just really loved it. This is part of my getting older and not giving a fuck about what people think about what I'm into. But I was really into how sexy it was and how the consent was explicit. And I just really got sucked in. After that, I found the website Smart Bitches Trashy Books, and I started making myself reading lists from other people's books that they were really enjoying on the What Are You Reading threads. And then I found Faded Mates on Twitter, and now I'm obsessed. So thank you so much.